Greetings to each one this evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. You were just standing, but if we could stand again for a word of prayer. Pray together, Heavenly Father, again this evening we gather in again to open up your word. And we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, apply the scriptures to our hearts. Open up our hearts, understanding, and the grace to also accept what you have to say to us. Bless each one. We have no other desire than to give you our wholehearted worship, adoration, praise, and one of the ways we will do that is by giving our bodies as a living sacrifice for you and for none other. So bless our evening. Bless your word. We invite you by your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. It was the night of April 14, 1912. Big British steamer of the White Star Line making her maiden trip from England to New York. We're all probably aware of the Titanic. One of the goals was to do it in a record speed. One of the reasons they thought they could do it in record speed is because it supposedly was unsinkable. As I get from history, I understand that as they were sailing across the ocean, that the captain was forewarned that of the possibility of icebergs. But since the ship was unsinkable, he didn't slow down his speed, and he wasn't careful. It sped along at a record-breaking speed. The announcement came of a sighted iceberg directly in the path, tried to steer around it. But with the speed and the short notice, they sideswiped the iceberg, and it gave a gash 300 feet long in this unsinkable sea liner. The fact that the captain didn't take the warning is sad enough in and of itself. But one mistake, a lot of lives were lost. A lot of lives. I understand that there was less than, less lifeboats than half to hold the 2,200 people that were on board. It sank in about two and a half hours after the accident. Approximately 1,500 people lost their lives. The moral of the fate are many, but one important message. The warning was given, but the warning wasn't heeded. The warning was given, but the warning wasn't heeded. 
God has been very good and kind by spending a lot of time and resources to try to get people's attention. It's a lesson for all of us. Will I be alert and respond properly to the warning signals that God gives in my life and your life? Will I take heed to them? Thus, my title this evening, Heeding the Warning Signals. Heeding the Warning Signals. God came to Cain and gave him a very informative warning. Of course, we know that Abel sacrificed the lamb. Cain brought of the fruit of the earth. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's wasn't accepted. And because Cain's wasn't accepted, he was jealous of his brother and he was upset. God came and had a conversation with Cain. Why are you wroth and why is your countenance fallen? A good question for Cain. Why are you wroth? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And then God said, if thou doest well, here's the warning. If thou doest well, will you not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, God came and very kindly warned Cain. Cain, you have a choice to make here. There's a right choice and there's a wrong choice. And he clearly warned him of the consequences of the wrong choice. In other words, what he said, you will be accepted if you respond well. If you refuse to respond correctly, watch out. Watch out. Sin is waiting to attack you and to destroy you. But you must subdue it. A real fair warning. Cain, you have a choice. You can do right. You can do wrong. If you do wrong, sin is going to rule over you. It is going to attack you and it's going to destroy you. Talking about warning signals. Something I find intriguing is all the warning signals that vehicles have on them today. All kinds of warning signals. Driving the car, and if the temperature drops just down to what I'm not even sure what it is, 38 or is it 40? All of a sudden, a warning signal. Roads might be slippery. Go around a turn, a little too fast, and the wheels slip just a little bit. A warning sign will come on. Tire slippage. We have not only gas gauges anymore, but we have warning lights. And I think even some vehicles have voices, voice command. 
years ago, our vehicles had just a gas gauge, and those weren't always real trustworthy. Today, there's enough of warning. Not only do we have warning lights and voice command also gives us how many miles till the tank gets empty. I'm surprised that anybody would run out of gas today. I mean, how many warnings do you need? This whole idea of being alert to warnings. Some of us know how to zoom it out. Just ignore it. Those kind of warnings, worst you can do is call somebody to bring you gas. But there are warnings that are a lot, uh, the price is a lot more hefty. Turning your Bibles to Haggai. Here in the first chapter of Haggai, we have God coming to the Jewish people and uh, through the prophet Haggai, encouraging to get back to building the temple. Let's read this um, first chapter, at least up to verse 11. Uh, one of the things we may need to know is that the children, uh, the Jewish people had been off to Babylon and God, it says in Ezra chapter 1, that God stirred up King Cyrus to send the Jewish people back and to build the temple. A number of the people went back and they started building the temple. The first thing they built is an altar. And then they began to build a foundation. And if you know your Bibles, you know that the people, the local people, didn't want them building this temple. And so they came in and they tried to convince them to stop. They finally sent a letter. And by that time, there was a new king, King Artaxerxes. He got the letter and they told him that in the past, this city has been a rebellious and bad city. And that if you allow them to build this temple again, you're going to have trouble on your hands. And they said, just look at the history. And so King Artaxerxes looked at the history and he said, you are correct. In the past, it's been a bad and wicked, a rebellious city. And so he sent a letter back and commanded them to stop. The local people came and it says with force caused them to stop. The book of Haggai, when Haggai began to prophesy, is 15 years later. So from the time that they had put the altar there and they had put the foundation there for 15 years, that sat that way. Here we are 15 years later, Haggai comes on the scene and is trying to stir them up to go back and build the temple. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And I would agree. After all they went through and how they got stopped, I don't blame them at all for saying this is not the right time to build. But that wasn't God's idea. Verse 3, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house, that's the temple, lie waste? 
Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Let's notice those words. And if you underline something in your Bible, it would be good to underline that. Consider your ways. And here's what they were supposed to consider. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, the same words, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye look for much, consider your ways. You look for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house, that's the temple, that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, because of that, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, upon cattle, upon all the labor of the hands. They were told here to consider their ways. They had food, but after they ate, they were still hungry. They had water to drink, but even though they drank water, they were still thirsty. They had clothes to put on. And they were still cold. And all their efforts seemed to be like putting things into a bag. The bag had holes in the bottom and everything just dropped out of the bottom. They looked into their bag and it was still empty. God purposely brought a draught. They did not have fruit. Things didn't give. Things didn't grow. And they were wanting, consider your ways. Somebody should have stopped and asked some questions. These were the warning signals for the Jewish people. I don't know how many years that this was going on, that there was a drought and they were not bringing in the increase. They would go out and sow and they would bring just a little back again. I don't know how long that was going, but God is saying here, consider your ways. Consider your ways, the warning signals. God was trying to get their attention. Let's consider some other warning signals. Listening and paying attention to the signs and warnings that are given to us can be such a blessing. We have the king of Assyria. He collaborated with his people and asked his other people, where shall we attack Israel? And they came up with a strategy that we're going to attack them from this direction. They will be unprepared. And so they march over there. And when they get over there, guess what? Israel is already, their army is already there standing. They're ready for them. And so they go back and they collaborate again. And they say, at such and such a place, we're going to trick them and we're going to get them. And they get there. And again, the children of Israel, the Israel's army was there again. 
prophet Elisha was giving King Ahab a warning. Assyria will attempt at such and such a place. He heeded the warning. He took the warning serious and not only protected himself once or twice, but more often than that, to the confusion, to the confusion of the Assyrian army. Of course, they said, who's telling the secret? And they said, Elisha knows what you say in your bedroom. Warning signals. Warning signals. There was a man who lived on Long Island, New York. He was able one day to satisfy his lifelong ambition by purchasing for himself a very fine barometer. When this instrument arrived at his house, he was extremely disappointed to find that the indicating needle seemed to be stuck pointing to the sector marked hurricane. So after shaking the barometer vigorously several times, its new owner, this new owner sat down and he wrote a scorching letter to the store from which he purchased the instrument. The following morning, on his way to his office in New York, he mailed the letter. That evening, he returned to Long Island to find not only the barometer missing, but his house also. The barometer's needle had been right. There was actually a hurricane. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 36, warning signals. Heeding warning signals. Jeremiah 36, this is the story here of Barak reading reading the prophecy, Jeremiah's prophecy, and it got in the hands of the king, and the king didn't like what it said, and so he cut it up. There's some things we want to notice in here, and for the sake of noticing it, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. It came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. There's, we see God wanting to give them a warning. Verse 4, then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Nebriah. And Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore, go thou and read in the roll, which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. 
And Barak, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Verse 9, it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. So here we have this king, Jehoiakim, and we have all of Judah, and we have Jerusalem. We have a special fast. They called for a special fast. And the reason that they called for this special fast was that there was an approaching conflict with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was coming. He had his army. He was coming to get Jerusalem. They knew he's coming. And so they said, look, this is, this is bad news. Let us plan that on such and such a day, everybody needs to come to Jerusalem. We're going to have a special fast day that day. And that's the day that Barak came and he read these warnings to these people. I think it's noteworthy to consider that this special fast that they made was to seek the Lord to find out if there was not some way to ward off Nebuchadnezzar, this army that was coming. You would think that they would have listened to the reading of the scroll. Verse 10, then read Barak in the book, the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of all the people. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishim, Elishima, the scribe, and Deliah, the son of Shemiah, and Elnathan, and the, the son of Akbar, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared unto them all the words which he had heard when Barak read the book in the ears of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shalemiah, the son of Cushai, unto Barak, saying, Take in thy hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Barak, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them, and they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears." So Barak read it in their ears. Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and other, and said unto Barak, we will surely tell the king of all these words. So they were moved with the warning. And they asked Barak, saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Then Barak answered them, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Barak, Go, hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, let no man know where you are. And they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elisha, Elishima, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishima, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king, in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. 
Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month. There was fire on the hearth burning before him. Came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife, cast it into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king, nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Delaiah and Gemariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll. But he would not hear them. I think that is so sad. Here they were. They, they had planned a special fast day because they had a problem on their hand. Well, when the messenger came with the warning, the king did not accept it, him and his princes. And he burned it and threw it away to his own dis- disaster. All down the ages, false priests have dealt thus with the word that condemned them. But a sailor does not escape shipwreck by destroying the chart which indicates the rocks on which he is drifting. God's word, God's words are eternal. Though the material on which they're written may perish, he who rejects God's truth does it at his own peril. Numerous times throughout the New Testament, Jesus speaking, he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There are some who have ears that do not listen. It's always good. It's always the best when there is a warning given to take it seriously. I am sure the captain of the Titanic, those two and a half hours after he had hit that iceberg, I am sure he did a lot of thinking. And if he could have redone it, I think he would have redone it. It's a good habit to always pray and consider when advice or warning comes our way. Does it always mean that every warning that comes is from the Lord? Maybe not, but we have to be so careful. We need to heed the warnings. With children, we call it selective hearing. Selective hearing. They've been so unmoved by certain callings and warnings that they have learned to tune it out. Selective hearing. There was a student. Teacher asked him, do you have trouble hearing? The student was sitting at his desk looking very dreamily. No, ma'am. I have trouble listening. Or are we listening? Are we paying close attention to what God is saying? Much of our Bible reading is like the boy in Alabama who was reading aloud in school. The teacher then asked him to tell what he was reading. He answered, I do not know. I was not listening. Are we listening? Do we have ears? And are we using them? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 5. Heed the warning signals. Reading the first 14 verses. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear to my understanding that thou mayest regard discretion, that thy lips may keep knowledge. 
For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest... Lest thou give thine honor unto others, thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Here we have somebody who did not heed warning. They didn't listen. And after it was all over, after their life became a mess, they started then asking the question, How have I been so foolish? How has it been that I hated instruction? How has it been that I despised reproof? Why didn't I obey my teachers? Why didn't I incline my ear to hear? Heed the warning signals. For some warnings, to heed it comes at a cost. A cost that may be hard to pay. But most times, not paying will only make the cost get greater. There was a, a trucker on our interstate who didn't heed the warning signal. Police wanted to pull him over, and he wasn't going to pull over. And so he kept on going, and he kept on going. And after a while, there was lots of police Lots of police. We heard them going down the interstate, and with all those sirens so long, you knew that something was really amiss. A trucker, he had his son with him. And as they tried to pull him over, they noticed he had his son with him, and so they decided they need to be careful. They can't just run the truck off the road. And so they started shooting out his tires one at a time. They shoot out a tire. They would shoot out another tire. 18 wheelers have lots of tires. And as the tires were getting shot out, it drove harder and harder and harder. But as long as he could keep on going, he kept on going. You know, it's such a picture of humanity today. If he would have only stopped, I don't even know what the issue, the little issue that he was getting pulled over for was minute, but he pushed it and pushed it. They shot out his tires until there was so much drag that when they got out east to the long uphill on the interstate, he finally couldn't go anymore and he stopped. And as soon as he stopped, the police cars were all around him. He puts it in reverse and he backs and smashes the police cars behind him. He went just as long as he could as far as he could. But it's so much like humanity. 
we ignore advice. We ignore the warning. And we continue to press in to the wrong way. We continue to go down the wrong road. Let's consider this evening three ways that warnings come to us. Now, last evening, I might have confused you a little. I said I'm going to give you three ways the Holy Spirit speaks. But because I have probably three or four messages going in my mind at the same time, I sometimes get them jumbled a little bit. But tonight, I want to give you those three ways that the warnings come. Three ways that the warnings come. We talked about it last night some. In John 16, uh, verses 8, uh, 7 to 11, we were talking about those verses, and I feel like it's so important tonight again to consider them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Last evening, we've simplified that just as much as we could, that the Holy Ghost, when it comes, the Holy Ghost shows us the right way, it shows us the wrong way, and it gives us the discernment to know the difference. That's exactly what God did when he went to Cain. Cain, you got a choice to make. And Cain had the ability to make the right choice. Here's the right way to go. If you do well, it'll go well with you. And there'll be a blessing. If you go the wrong way, there's going to be a hefty price to pay. And he paid a hefty price for it. The Holy Spirit will tell us what sin is. That is sin. Do not go there. That's the warning. Not only that, he will tell us of righteousness. What is right in the sight of God? And not only that, but the Holy Spirit will make us, help us make sound decisions. Three primary ways that God speaks to us and gives us warning. And the first one is the conscience. And we talked about that last evening. And we're going to put a little more time into that again tonight. Through the conscience. God comes with these warning signals through the conscience. Don't do that. That is not the right way to go. Don't do that. That is sin. Do this. This is right. And gives us the ability to make the judgment. The conscience is that warning light, that buzzer, that flag, that attention getter. The Holy Spirit will tell us through our conscience, that is wrong. That is right. Make the right decision. Many. Many do not listen to their conscience. Many are living with a guilty conscience. And when we live for any amount of time with a guilty conscience, our conscience will not be what it needs to be. It will not work properly. You cannot allow your conscience to be guilty for any length of time or it will not work properly. But many, many are the people that leave their conscience with guilt upon them. 
It is so well illustrated by that fellow that was on the, in Chicago, on the Chicago Loop. And he stood there on the street as the many people would be walking by. And as he stood there, he stood there as still and as quiet as could be, like a statue. You'd have to wonder if he was even alive, looking straight forwards. And every now and then, he would put up his finger and point and say, guilty. And then his hand would go down to his side again, and he would stand there. After a while again, the same hand motion, the finger would point, guilty. He had informants that would go and walk with the crowd. And he said it was interesting how many people were actually living with a guilty conscience. So one of the informants was walking beside a person, and as they got right to this gentleman and he puts up his hand, he says, guilty. This gentleman looked over at the informant, didn't know him. He looked over at the informant and said, how did he know? So he was living with a guilty conscience. His conscience was that heavy and guilty that he continued to live that way. Do we keep our conscience clear? It is so important. Are you listening to your conscience? Don't do that. Do this. You will get, have the judgment to make the right decision. The Holy Spirit will not only warn us about what is wrong, it will tell us what is right and help us make that decision. We know the famous saying that Martin Luther is supposedly have made before the diet of worms. He said, my conscience, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither honest nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Martin Luther knew that it is not honest or safe to go against your conscience. The conscience is like that light in our cars that comes on, the check engine light, telling us there's something wrong. The conscience is a a warning signal to us. Let us not live with a guilty conscience. Number two, the conscience is guided or the um, God speaks and gives us warning signals by his word through the conscience. This is a very important aspect that cannot be emphasized enough. God uses his word as a compass speaking through our conscience. It is extremely important to read the word and to memorize it. The Holy Spirit will use the word of God to be a warning signal in our conscience. Through the word of God, the Holy Spirit will most times only bring to mind what we already have there. Only a little there, only a little for the Holy Spirit to use. So how does it work? When a feeling of discouragement overwhelm us, then the words come to us. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. 
When tempted to look at something bad, I will, the verses come to me, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And the list goes on and on. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have the armor given there. And one of the pieces of armor is verse 17 of chapter 6, and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the armor is to help us from yielding to the wrong and sinful battles we face. The word here that we have in verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, this word of God, this Greek word is rima. It means a very specific verse that applies to a very specific battle. So if I'm tempted to be sad, then the rima would be the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we have these, the word of God being a rima, it's specific verses that apply to my situation. So we have the word coming through the Holy Spirit. The Bible, the last, but definitely not least, God speaks through people. So we notice that God speaks through our conscience, God speaks through his word, God speaks through people. The most useful person is one who has counted advice as an important aspect in their life. God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us through other people. Let us not be easily, let us not easily discard the advice that comes our way. We need to ponder it. We need to consider it. Does it line up with the word of God? We tend to choose to regard or disregard advice by whether it fits what we want to do or not. A very good illustration of that is Ahab. Ahab invited Jehoshaphat to go with him to battle against another nation. And he got his priests or his prophets to come and they said, sure, go. And Jehoshaphat wasn't satisfied. And he said, isn't there a prophet of God? And he said, Ahab said, yes, Micaiah. But Micaiah never says what I want to hear. That's very enlightening. Are we listening? Are we wanting to hear? Can people speak into our lives? You know, it is very silly, but it has a good point. There was a man who bought a new car, and he was surprised that there was a woman's voice that would send out warning signals to him. Things like almost out of gas or you need to buy gas and many other things. Anyhow, I was driving down the voice, uh, road one day and this voice addressed him as a warning signal. It's time to refill your gas tank. He kept on driving and this woman kept reminding him, it's time to refill your gas tank. And it seemed to him, as the woman kept saying it, that it became sharper and more irritating. Finally, 
He got so tired of it, he pulled off the road, he crawled up under the dash, he found the right wires, and he pulled and yanked them. So much for the woman speaking into my life. He was still smiling when all of a sudden the car started to sputter because it was running out of gas. And it seemed to him that he could hear the woman's voice laughing at him. You know, there's a sad account in Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah 25, 4, And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. Proverbs 4, 1 and 2, Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Are we listening to the warning signals? Young people, they might be coming from those that are closest to you. Warning signals. Are we listening? Are we taking advice? Or are we going to be like that person in Proverbs after it all his whole life had fallen to pieces? He said, why did I hate knowledge? Why did I not listen to my instructors? You're here today. You're here tonight. You have the opportunity to tune in and listen to what other folks are telling you. It may be your parents. It may be an older brother or sister in the church. Don't continue to refuse heeding the instruction Warnings, the warning signals. Or we'll be like the man who was told his water was contaminated. He said, I don't believe it. So somebody brought a microscope and put a little bit of his water under the microscope and said, here, look into the microscope and just see the stuff that is in your water. He looks into the microscope. He was so disgusted and disturbed, he went and he smashed the microscope. We say he's a fool, but it's not so different when we disregard our conscience. Our conscience has been given. And to live with a guilty conscience will have its bad effect. Very similar. A man made himself some soup. And when he went to eat it, lo and behold, there were some Worms floating on top. Well, he wasn't going to throw it away, so he turned out the light and ate it in the dark. Are we heeding the warning signals, or are we continuing to stubbornly go down the wrong road? Tonight is just a real simple message. A real simple message. Are we heeding the warning signals? Are we heeding the warning signals? Has somebody spoken into my life and said, that's the wrong road, and I haven't been heeding it? Has somebody spoken into my life and said, this is the right way, and I've been heeding it, and I've been blessed by it? 
The Bible says when the Holy Spirit has come, it will convince, it will uh, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. God is so generously giving us those warning signals. Don't go down that road. Go down this road. He gives us the ability by the Holy Spirit to make those judgments. Where are we tonight? Are we heeding that? Or do we have a guilty conscience? And we know that the things that we're doing or the things that we have or the places we're going is not good for us. And we continue to do it. And we continue to do it. Can we sit here tonight and say, my conscience is clear. I have been heeding good advice. I have chosen to go down the right road. Tonight, you have the opportunity to turn around and go the other way. You have the opportunity tonight to make right judgments. Last evening, we talked about the need of the Holy Spirit. Tonight again, I address you and ask you, do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you invited the Holy Spirit into your life and to heart? It is so essential. You need that guidance. It is so essential to have the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and show us what is right and what is wrong to make that right judgment. That's what it's for. Do you have the Holy Spirit or have you been quenching the Spirit by not listening? By not listening. Where are we at tonight? We're going to sing a song. And I want to give an opportunity for you tonight to respond. If God has been speaking to you for the last two days, specifically, if you're here tonight and you have not been listening to the Holy Spirit, you have not been heeding the warning signals, you have a guilty conscience, you know that you've been doing things that you should not be doing, the, pro, the, the possibility of someone here, and maybe many who have not been heeding their conscience, is a very possibility. How could it be that that informant could have been walking on the street of Chicago with a man beside him that had a guilty conscience? The truth of the matter is, statistics show us that there's many, many people who live with a guilty conscience. It's not altogether clear. Tonight, I would encourage you, Get your conscience cleared. If you've been making bad decisions, if you've not been heeding the warning signals, if your parents have been trying to speak into your life and you've not been heeding it, if your church has been trying to speak into your life and you've not been heeding it, this is the opportunity. There is so many blessings for those who will heed instruction who will keep their conscience clear. If you're here tonight and you've not been born again, it is completely essential that you get born again. I invite you tonight to respond if your conscience is not the way it ought to be. What's our song number? Number 726. Number 726, I invite you as we sing, come.
And let's get these things taken care of tonight so that we can just be better for it tomorrow.